Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 6, 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they may find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of noise uh, that is in our world, but this morning we need to hear your voice. So, Father, please uh, speak to our hearts through your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, If you've been uh, with us the past couple weeks, uh, you'll know, oh, I'm getting signaled. The kids need to be dismissed. They were starting to panic. (laughs) What? We're going to have to stay in here? Kids, you are dismissed. If you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, you'll know that uh, we've been looking at some stories from the gospel. And uh, they are stories that are not quite so light and fluffy like some of the other stories that we often look at in the gospels, because we're looking at stories of opposition and where Jesus and his followers faced very intense uh, opposition. Uh, Albert Einstein said that great spirits always encounter opposition. And of course, the same was true with Jesus. We've seen a story a couple weeks ago that happened at the front end of Jesus' ministries, where, ministry where at the end of the story, his, uh, those that were there tried to throw him off a cliff, ending his life. Last week, we looked at a story at the very end of Jesus' ministry, and at the end of that story, everyone around him was trying to stone him, the trying to take his life away. Both of these stories are, are bookends on Jesus' public ministry that help us to understand that everything in between was probably filled with lots of opposition as well. And this story that we've just read is no different. At the end of this story, all of Jesus' enemies were filled with rage and they were planning every way they could in order to have him killed. We know that this is a really important story uh, told to us by Luke because two other gospel writers tell the same story. And in the Mark account of this narrative, Jesus says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus concludes this story saying that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So what I'd like to do this morning for the next few minutes is just unpack those three statements and see what they mean for us today. The first statement is, the Sabbath is made for man. I read a book a couple years ago uh, by a uh, pastor and author named Kevin D. Young. 
and uh, he told an anecdote uh, in his book that was called Crazy Busy. And it went like this. He wrote, I read an anecdote once about a woman from another culture who came to the United States and began to introduce herself as busy. It was, after all, the first thing she heard when meeting any American. Hello, I'm busy. She figured it was a part of our traditional greeting, so she told everyone that she met that that's who she was. Hi, I'm busy. We all know that we live in an unbelievable uh, busy culture, and I am the first person to raise my hand and say that I am guilty of excessive busyness. In our American culture, to not be busy is to be uh, considered weird or to be considered very different. Productivity and production is king, and anything that gets in the way or slows us down has to be removed at all costs. Ronald Rollheiser said that our busy culture presents an all-out assault on the interior life. So it makes us wonder, what could Jesus' words here have to say about the frenetic pace of our lives that we often lead and the world that we live in? You see, for the Jews, after their temple was destroyed, they had very little to distinguish themselves from the rest of the world and the rest of the cultures around them. So Sabbath-keeping became the very hallmark or cornerstone of their beliefs. The Sabbath was an intentional day of rest that they would practice, and that made them different than everyone else, and it became very precious to them. It was the practice that made them different, that distinguished themselves from the rest of the world. And in our culture and in our day, maybe the same thing can be true for you and I. We, of course, live in a culture that runs at a fast pace, a frenetic pace, perhaps a way for us to to kind of swim against the stream or to even signal our faith to the rest of the world is to practice regular and intentional rest. But what does Jesus exactly mean when he says that the Sabbath was made for man? Well, if you read all the way back in the book of Genesis, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and he created them in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Now, when you read that, you wonder, did God rest because he was tired of creating everything? He had kind of run out of energy and his tank was empty and he just needed to sit down and to recharge his batteries and have some me time. Well, I don't exactly think that's what was going on, but what I think was going on is that God was setting a pattern or an example for us, an example for, for, for humanity, that part of the fabric of creation is that we work and then we need to rest. We need both work and we need rest. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he reaffirmed that the Sabbath day is important. He said that we need to honor it. We need to keep it holy. Fast forward to the life of Jesus. He regularly practiced the Sabbath. He didn't just attend synagogue on Saturday mornings like he was supposed to, but he regularly disappeared in quiet and stillness in order to rest and to connect with God, his Father. 
His followers, the church, after he ascended back into heaven, they moved the Sabbath to Sunday mornings in honor of the resurrection, but it also became a vital part of what it meant for them to follow Jesus. But what exactly does this this Sabbath rest do for us? Well, of course, it offers us respite. It offers us perspective on our lives. But it also is a very active reminder that you and I are not God. It reminds us that we need rest. We cannot go on forever in a perpetual state of motion. Have you ever wondered why God made it so that we as human beings need to sleep at night? Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to sleep and we could just get a lot of things done? But God made it so that our bodies need that. What it is, is a regular reminder that we can't have perpetual motion, that we are not like God. We are his creation and our abilities and our stamina at the end of the day are limited. At the end of the day, the Sabbath is a way for us to be humbled. We need rest, of course, but we don't just need it physically. We ultimately need the humility that comes from recognizing that we need that. But we also need the routine of the Sabbath as well. We need its pattern. Because the Sabbath was never just about rest. It was always about the routine of worship as well. The routine of God's people gathering together to remind our hearts of what matters in life. Paul Tripp said that corporate worship is a gracious reminder that it's not about you. That you've been born into a life that is a celebration of another. Friends, the message of the world tells us that you and I are the heroes or at least the main characters of our own story. That our success and our well-being are the end-all and be-all of our existence. And then we come to this. We come to worship and we are reminded that it is not all about us. In some ways, we are pounded daily with a a narcissistic or self-centered tendencies and messages of our world, and we need worship to humble us, to tell us that all of this is not ultimately about us. It is about another. But what the world also does is that it pounds us with alternative messages about life and what true life is. It says, find life here, find life in this and that accomplishment and possession. And it is easy for all of us to to fall prey to its message, to be sucked in, because that often is the pool of our hearts. And that is why we need this. That is why we need worship. It reminds us that life is found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, life is found and all other alternatives at the end of the day are dead ends that lead us to nothing but emptiness. Tim Keller said, we're called not simply to communicate the gospel to non-believers. We must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. We need rest. We need the routine reminders that it's not about us, that Jesus is the only source of life. We were made to intentionally celebrate the gospel through the watching world. The Sabbath was made for man. But we also see that man was not made 
for the Sabbath. What did Jesus mean when he said that, that man was not made for the Sabbath? Well, I think what he meant was this, that though the Sabbath is important, it cannot become ultimate. You see, the keeping of the law, if you were with us last week, we saw this. The keeping of the law was very important to the Jews. And the keeping of the Sabbath was one of the most important rules for their identity and their spirituality and their pride. But one gets the sense from the Gospels that it had become too important to them. Let me try to explain. Imagine uh, for a while, just use your imagination, imagine for a while that you have a real problem with donuts, okay? Just imagine. You may like them, you may not, but imagine you have a real problem with donuts. You go to the donut shop and you sit down to have one donut and at the end of the day you've eaten six. You've lost control and you've eaten six donuts. So what you do is you make a rule for yourself. I will only eat one donut, in one sitting. You make this rule, but all of a sudden, once you make that rule, after you've eaten that first donut, all you can think about are the rest of the donuts that you want to eat. You can't seem to control yourself. So what do you do? You make extra rules for yourself. You won't ever go to the donut shop when you're hungry. In fact, you won't even go to the donut shop at all anymore. You won't even drive on the street that the donut shop is on for fear of the temptation that you might eat six donuts. During dinner conversation, you don't even want to talk about donuts at all because you refuse to do so because you're afraid you will lose control. You see, your original rule was to only limit yourself to one donut, but now you've made all these other rules to protect you from breaking the original one. And friends, that is exactly, well, maybe not exactly, but close to what the Jews had done with the Sabbath. They believed in the importance of this rule, but they then created many additional laws to protect them from breaking this one rule. In fact, the the Mishnah, which is one of the sacred books of the Jewish nation, outlined 39 additional rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Those additional rules said that you could glean from the fields. That was allowable on the Sabbath. And of course, our story tells us that Jesus' disciples plucked and ate the grain, but then they rubbed the grain in between their hands. And that was a violation of the Sabbath. Yet it's the very thing that Jesus' disciples do in this story. They also believed that life and death matters of health were allowable on the Sabbath. But if the issue could wait, then it ought to wait until the next day. The Jews had heard that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, so they sent spies to spy out, on, uh, spy out his activity on the Sabbath. So when Jesus intentionally heals a man's withered hand on the Sabbath, they get upset. We read their reaction in verse 11, but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. In the original language, that word fury means blind, inconsolable, uncontrollable rage. And both Matthew and Mark tell us that after this event, they wanted to do everything they could to have Jesus killed. 
They were so blinded by their rule-keeping and rage that they even missed the fact that this man was healed. As I read the story, I can imagine the man's kind of standing in the corner watching all this, these things play out saying, hello, didn't anybody notice that my hand was healed today? I mean, isn't this a really good thing? You see, they were so blinded by their rule-keeping that they missed even the beauty of a story of healing of a man who'd been oppressed by a health condition his whole life. In the end, it wasn't so much a question about the Sabbath. It was a question of authority. Does Jesus have the authority to redefine what is meant by the Sabbath? But friends, there's also a great warning here. Because there's a great temptation that the practice or the rule keeping becomes the ultimate thing that defines our faith. You see, their entire identity became wrapped up in their rule keeping. It was the thing that differentiated them for the rest of the world, but it also became the entire substance of their faith. The Sabbath had arisen to the level of ultimate. That's why Jesus came to say that man was not made for the Sabbath. He was saying that the ultimate is only found not in rule keeping, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says finally, Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. He provides rest that is simply beyond physical. He provides spiritual rest. He provides true rest for the soul. David Brooks, who is a uh, New York Times columnist who I read often, uh, wrote an article a few weeks back uh, that was called The Epidemic of Worry. And he wrote that uh, the election and uh, the campaign have given all of us, uh, all of us in the culture, a tutorial on what worry is all about. He talks in the article about how mental health professionals are seeing uh, a, a huge increase in uh, election-related anxiety. And he wrote this before the results of the election. I'm sure those uh, election-related anxieties have gotten even stronger. He wrote this in the article. He said that we often feel besieged by busyness and plagued by the daily excess of choices. And at the same time, there is a pervasive cosmic unease, an anxiety that we don't quite understand the meaning of life or have not surrendered to some all-encompassing commitment that would bring coherence and peace. Friends, we all know what it's like to experience anxiety at our deepest level, to be captured by worry. It's a restlessness that just feels unquenched inside of us. And so what often becomes our answer to that worry and that anxiety, our answer often becomes to just try harder. We work harder. We strive to overcome. We strive to confront our fears. We strive to make ourselves into better people. We strive to earn our way back to God, hoping in some ways that our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. We strive to, to build our own kingdoms and our resume. We strive, to, strive to, to merit and earn the favor of others and ultimately the favor of God. Isn't this what is ultimately behind all of our busyness? 
a striving for meaning and purpose. And if this is you, aren't you tired of striving? Wouldn't you like a vacation from your anxieties and your worry and a break from all of this striving? That's why Jesus says, come to me, the Lord of the Sabbath, and find ultimate rest for your souls. You see, friends, we strive to confront our fears, and Jesus tells us that his perfect love casts out all fear. We strive to better ourselves, and he tells us to own our mess and to stop pretending. We strive to earn our way back to God, and he tells us that we are hopeless to do it on our own, so Christ came and did it for us. We strive to build our own kingdom, and he tells us to live for his We strive to merit the favor of others and of God, and he tells us to stop striving and instead to rest in what Christ has done for us. Friends, what Jesus is saying here is with him, every single day is the Sabbath. Every day is an opportunity to experience rest for our souls. Augustine said it best when he said this famous quote. He said, Thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Let's pray.